Thursday here on the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. The Dream Team has been reunited. Mark and I had gone our separate ways for the last couple days here. It's been too long, buddy. We are back together now, and let me tell you, it's a good feeling. It's good to have you back, buddy. It's good to be together again, man. You didn't burn the place down while I was gone. I did not. I did not. I kind of kept all sort of flammable material, um, you know, lighters, candles, things like that. I just didn't even bring them into the studio. Well, it's good because no one brings hotter takes than Mark Schofield. So I'm this glad to see that this everything is, is still, uh, you know, upright and, uh, you know, not turned to ashes at this point. So yeah, that's all you can ask for from me. Now, Mark, we're going to be talking here. Uh, you're doing this uh, throwback series that you've been looking yep. at. Little uh, ITP rewind action. Yeah, the ITP rewind. You started last week with uh, Bo over the top, obviously. Uh, you know, you made plenty of friends uh, down at you know Auburn, and obviously, uh, I know you're very popular down that way now. Where it, it hurts to you know never hurts to be popular down there. Where are you taking us today? We're going to the 1980 Florida Georgia game. Doing another SEC piece for the um, and for the article that's up now. So, talk to me about how you ended up at this game because I'll be completely honest, I know nothing about it right now, and I'm curious how you landed on this one. Well, I basically this summer what I've been doing is I've recorded a bunch of games off of um, the SEC network to kind of go through them and kind of watch some stuff because this is a game that I never watched before at all. I can't can't completely honest came into it like eyes wide open just as you are right now and when i watched it and then started reading about some of the stuff that led up to this game some of the stuff the year before for both of these teams and then you know the climactic play in this game um it's an entertaining one it was a lot of fun to put this one together so set the scene for me uh just at the beginning of the game here sure yeah you're looking at two teams obviously the the florida uh georgia rivalry It, it goes back you know generations um it's one of the few rivalries that's actually played at a neutral site site they played in jacksonville um it's not it's only been on their campuses for a couple of times in the 90s when they were redoing the stadium there they had one year at florida the other year at georgia but most of the time it's at a neutral site it gets turned into like a four or five day long event where people come from out of town they rent condos nearby they kind of party it up for a week and it has the nickname the world's largest outdoor cocktail party and that was coined back in the 1950s there was a guy that was covering the game was there a couple of days before the game and he saw a drunken fan from one of the schools try to give an on-duty uniformed police officer a drink and this was like you know 10 in the morning please tell me the officer drank it oh of course it's the world's largest outdoor cocktail party i mean i've had i've known people that have gone to this game it's like it's an event and so Coming into this year, the 1980 season, nobody would have expected a game to be this good or the teams to be somewhat evenly matched. I mean, we're talking about a Florida team that in 1979, they had a new head coach. They were moving to a more I-formation offensive attack away from the wishbone. There was some excitement. They had some talent there. Their wide receiver, an All-American candidate, Chris Collinsworth. I mean, Ooh, that's, look at that. He, yeah. Little, little name that we all know and love these days. But yeah, he was a junior in that 1979 season. There was a lot of excitement about the new coaching staff, Charlie Pell, the new head coach, and they go 0-10-1. They didn't win a single game. I mean, so this was a team that was near the bottom of U- of college football. On the other sideline, Georgia, they're in the middle of the Vince Dooley era. They're, they hadn't had a losing season. They had one losing season in the 70s, but otherwise they hadn't had a losing season under Vince Dooley. Um, they enter the 1980 season ranked number 16 in the country in the preseason. Um, Florida's not ranked at all. Both teams actually get out the gate and do pretty well. Florida wins their first three games. They look, drop a 
tough game to LSU, and they win their next three, and they're number 20 in the country on the day of the Florida-Georgia game. As for Georgia, they were down 15-2 to in their season opener to Tennessee in Knoxville. And their coach, Vince Dooley, needs a spark, and he turns to a third-string freshman running back. He goes in, and on that next series, runs him right down the field, and on a touchdown run, he runs over All-American safety Bill Bates. And that running back, Herschel Walker. So they Georgia wins all their games up until this point. So day of the game, Georgia's number two in the country. Florida's number 20 in the country. And for Georgia, they're looking ahead now. They've got Notre Dame at number one. Notre Dame's playing Georgia Tech the day of this game. And as Al Michaels was doing the game for ABC says, look, they're going to win against Georgia Tech, but Notre Dame still has to play. They have to play Alabama down in Alabama, and then they have to play USC. So if Georgia can win this game against Florida, they've got an inside track to get the number one overall spot in the polls. So, so that sets the stage. So when we, when we went through last week and we went through that Iron Bowl game, you, you talked about how the offenses that you saw there, they were incredibly conservative by today's standards. Did you see similar things in this game, or was it a different case with these two teams? It was a different case with these two teams. I mean, Georgia definitely featured the run. I mean, their quarterback, Bo Blue, I think he only threw like 15 passes in this game. They featured Herschel Walker a ton, and we'll get to that, of course. And they, you know, they ran a lot of eye formation, some full house backfields. Florida, I mentioned at the outset in that 79 season, they were moving to an, an uh, sort of eye formation attack away from the wishbone. Well, they kicked it up a notch in the 1980 season under their new offensive coordinator for this season, a 28 year old young man by the name of Mike Shanahan. Oh, look, there are all kinds of names all over this game. Yeah, yeah. This is why it was so much fun to dive into this game. So Shanahan comes in, and he installs basically a precursor to the run and shoot. So Florida comes out, and they're running four wide with a single back, which is kind of unheard of for this day and age. And George is on the other side, and they're basically in their 5-2 defense, which is you know a precursor to the 3-4, but you're not seeing a lot of nickel and dime from Georgia. So how did that matchup play out? Uh, over the first half, what did you see in terms of uh, your punches and counter punches from the uh, the two offenses and defenses? Well, look, this game gets off. Georgia gets the ball first. They run three run plays. Walker runs the ball twice in their first three plays. On third down, he has a short run to pick up a first down, and on the very next play, they run their lead toss play to the right side. Walker goes seventy two yards for a touchdown, and there's a great block there on the the tight end on that play. Um, Norris Brown throws an incredible block on the edge against Tim Gold in the left end in Florida's 5-2 defense. Um, gets his head to the outside and spins him back towards the inside, seals the edge. Walker's gone as people are probably like still getting seated. So it's 7 nothing Georgia. Florida gets the ball. They've got a freshman quarterback who is 17 at this time, a time in this game. He didn't turn bad. 18 until the next week. So he's 17. He's, he's seen action for only the fourth game of this year. He wasn't the starter when the season started. Um, Wayne Peace completes his first pass of the game, I think to Collinsworth, on the second pass of the game, hits another receiver on a short curl route, bounces through his hands for an interception. So a horrific start for Florida. But the game kind of settled down. Like Both teams turned the ball over a lot. Georgia ran out a ton of offense. I mean, Walker had almost 240 yards on the ground, but he had you know, 72 in the first, you know, one of his first runs. He never got the ball into the end zone again because they kept turning the ball over. It goes to the half 14-10. Um, Georgia had a 14-3 lead. Peace throws a great 
um, sort of red zone fade route to Collinsworth, which I break down in the article. Collinsworth is working against an all-American cornerback on the play, but runs a great route, uses his face to sort of sell the like slant route before he breaks to the outside. So it's 14-10 at the half. In the third quarter, Georgia kind of, you know, they can't kind of break through. They kick two field goals, so it's 20 to 10 as we kind of rejoin things in the fourth quarter. And that's when Florida kind of takes the this game and just changes the momentum in the course of three plays. What exactly, uh, what, what, what happens there? Well, Florida's facing basically a third and five on their own 35-yard line. And they come out, again, they're in four wide, and Georgia's still kind of in their base defense. And Peace takes a snap, and Tyrone Young, who's in the slot to the left, just basically runs almost what looks like a side adjustment because he's uncovered. So Peace flips him the ball. He turns, you know, he misses, he evades the inside linebacker who's like rotating it over to try to tackle him, turns that into a 53-yard gain. So now they've got, you know, first and a first and 10 down at the Georgia 12 yard line. Next play is just they show the option, but Peace gives it off to his fullback, the up back. He barrels into the end zone, so now it's a touchdown 12 6 game. Coach Pell is saying, No, we're not going to kick the, f- the extra point and make it a three point game. I want a field goal to put us in position to win this game. So he puts the team back out there um, for the two point play. They run sort of that slant, slant, flat, a little 2 2 1 combo where you've got two guys running slant routes and they send. Yun in motion from the slot to the left to the right. And he runs the flat. Peace hits them. Two-point conversion. So now, this is now a 20-18 to 18 game. Georgia's got a two-point lead. Georgia basically does nothing. They get the ball, go three and out, forced to punt. There's a great play on third downward, a Florida defensive back. Um, they run that toss play of the Herschel Walker. Florida defensive back crashes upfield and forces him back to the inside. They floor the ball, force the punt. Florida gets the ball back. They go down the field, and they can't quite get into the end zone. They settle for a 40-yard field goal, get their first lead of the game. It's 21-20 with about 6.52 left in the game. So now the momentum is like completely swan. I mean, this was a 10-point Georgia lead that's gotten erased basically in the, like, the first half of the fourth quarter. So how do you pick this up now at this point? Because one of the main plays here, and, and look, I know, again, Next to nothing about this game. And, and, until you mentioned this to me about 20 minutes ago, I didn't even know that this was a big deal here. But all of a sudden, you start to see some things happening on the other side of the ball now. Yeah, because, you know, Florida, they take the lead. Georgia gets the ball back. And you could tell that they're rattled because they go three and out again. And this is a team that's built on the run game. They try three deep passes on that next drive. Both times, Baloo throws them into, into double coverage. They fall incomplete. They're forced to punt with about, um, yeah, maybe five minutes left in the game. They're forced to punt. Florida gets the ball back. They work the clock. They eventually have to punt on their own. They get to the Georgia 40-yard line, but they punt. So now Georgia has the ball on their own seven-yard line. So they're pinned minute, deep. Yeah, they're pinned deep. A minute, 50, minute 35 left. And they, all they need to do is get into a position for a field goal here. But still, the ineptitude of the previous drives comes – you see it on first and second down. On first down, Baloo is forced to his right, tries to scramble, and picks up nothing. It's no gain. Second down, flushed to his right again, throws a pass towards a receiver that's dropped along the sideline. So now it's like third down. And they need a miracle. They're on their own seven. Well, they get one. They get one on a play that goes down in SEC history – known as Run, Lindsay, Run. 
And what happens is it, it's just a simple play. It's just they, they go with multiple receivers. Ballou is again flushed to his right. Lindsey Scott starts out on the right side. He cu- curls to the inside. Florida's dropping into zone coverage. And as Ballou's rolling to his right, he sees a soft area in the zone. So you can see him point out to where he wants Scott to sit down. And that's exactly what he does. So Ballou hits him with a pass. He's throwing it back over the middle late in the play, which is kind of a no-no for quarterbacks, but he does it anyway. Oh, yeah. And he hits Scott maybe around like the 20-yard line. So it's got first down, right? Well, Scott turns around, and as he turns up field, the safety that's coming over to make the tackle kind of stumbles, and Scott just takes off. And 93 yards later, Georgia has the lead again. That's a good day right there. Look at that. And what's, what's amazing about this is, you know, doing the game up in the box is Al Michaels. And this is November of 1980. So he's almost a year removed from Miracle on Ice. So as Scott crosses the goal line, you know, Michaels blurts out, can you believe that? Which is almost (laughs) sort of like, it's almost like full circle to the can you believe in miracles. But the reason why it's known as Run Lindsey Scott is because of this. Larry Munson, who was play-by-play guy, handled Georgia games from 1966 to 2008. So he's, you know, an old-time lifer uh, Georgia guy. And like many college guys, I mean, we see sometimes in the pros, guys that's doing the game, they become fans. And so as this play develops, Munson just kind of loses his mind because, you know, he's describing it and he basically just starts blurting out, run, Lindsay, run, Lindsay. And then as Scott crosses the goal line, he's like, Lindsay Scott, Lindsay Scott. He's just saying his name over and over and over again. <laughs> but, and I link to this and he keeps going because then he gets into, he starts to start saying, I broke my chair. I broke my chair. It's a steel chair and I broke my chair. And so he, he's just going full stream of consciousness he's at this point. He's conscious for like three minutes. Then he starts talking about how, you know, all the dogs fans that rented their condominiums, Man, the property damage that there's going to be tonight. And then he launches into this other thing where he's like, they were gone. They were done. I knew it. You knew it too. Miracle. And it's like a three-minute stream of consciousness that's just incredible. (laughs) It's just great radio. And, you know, again, came to this game eyes wide open. I'm not a fan of either team, but you can't help but just enjoy like the exuberance in his voice when he's describing this play i mean if you do nothing but click on the article to like find that link and listen to it just do that because it's great stuff yeah and and was that the last play of the game or were there still was there still time after that that's just it you know jacksonville's in complete bedlam you know munson's up there losing his mind that like you know the, the almost the entire georgia sideline came down into the end zone, you know, Dooley's on the sideline, his defensive coordinator comes up to him, he's like, first, you know, you know, it's now a five-point game, we need to at least go for two, so, uh, you know, we got to get this to a seven-point lead. When they finally restore order, they go for two, they fail. So now it's a five-point game, Florida's going to get the ball back, but Peace throws a pick on their first offensive play, so that's how it ends. Oh, so this is effectively, this it's pretty much the second to last real play of Basically, this game. Basically, yeah, yeah, because then George just kneels it. Just run the clock and, and call it yeah. a day, yeah. But just, you know, just again, if you don't know anything about this game, if you do know something about this game, it, the piece just kind of encapsulates that entire rivalry, I think. It's just, I had a lot of fun doing it, so I hope people enjoy reading it, especially the Munson part, because it's great stuff. Well, I'll tell you this. I didn't know anything about it, but it sounds like a heck of a ride. So uh, at least as far as uh, I'm concerned, you got a fan right here. 
Oh, well, hey, at least I got one. Yeah, that's we, all you can ask for. Look, it's all you need, man. It's um, it's it's an army of one, and that's how we're going to start it, you know? But Fantastic. Uh, what else? Anything else? Uh, any last thoughts on the game before we uh, call it quits for the day? No, I mean, just Florida goes on. You know, they lose this game, but they bounce back the next week. They beat Kentucky. They do lose their final two regular season games, but they get to a bowl game, becoming the first team in college football history to lose 10 games in one year and get to a bowl the next. As for Georgia, as I mentioned earlier, Al Michaels at the start of this game was talking about how Notre Dame's playing Georgia Tech that day. Now, Notre Dame's going to go on, even though they're, they're number one in the country, but they've got two tougher games down the road. They'll get by Georgia Tech, Michael says. They've got tough games left with Alabama and with USC. So Georgia needed to win to keep pace with Notre Dame. Notre Dame ended up tying Georgia Tech that day. So between the Notre Dame tie and Georgia survive in this game, they vault to number one in the next week's rankings. And they stay there, they beat Notre Dame in the Sugar Bowl, and win their first national championship since the 1940s. That's not a bad day right there. No, no. I mean, that's, and again, it, third in, you know, third in the field, basically. Third, yeah, I mean, that was pretty much it. So, again, once again, we're coming down to uh, one key play uh, in an SEC game. This one, uh, effectively leading directly to a national championship in, uh, later on that season. Yep. Not so, bad. Next, not- time you, next time you see a Georgia fan, just say, run, Lindsey, run, and they'll, they'll know what you're talking about. Not bad at all. Not bad. So, again, we do have this piece up on Inside the Pylon. I know that you all obviously all love listening to us. Make sure you go read it, check it out. If you do have any Georgia fans, share it with them because they'll share it with their friends, which is always good for us. If you have Florida fans, send it to them because they'll get mad at you and yell back, and that gets our name going all around the Twitterverse. It's a good thing for everyone. So, in any case, we are done for the day. We are back tomorrow. And what day is it tomorrow, Mark? Kicker Friday. Yes, sir, it is. Chuck's out of Mark Schofield. We will see you tomorrow on Kicker Friday on the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. <laughs>